0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to Police Off the Cuff Real Crime Stories. I'm your host, Bill Cannon. I'm a retired 27-year NYPD detective sergeant from Manhattan North Homicide Squad. And with me today, my co-host, the always affable (laughs) Phil Grimaldi, a 21-year retired NYPD second-grade detective from Intelligence Unit and also from the 6-0 Squad. How are you doing today, Phil? Pretty good, Bill. Thanks for having me on again. I hate to pull you out because I know you're usually stirring that gravy on a Sunday afternoon, you know?
1: Yes, yes. Not (laughs) not me. Believe it or not, my
0: wife does all the cooking and uh – and you just you just do the you're the commander at the table. You get
1: this, you get that, right? Now you're talking, you got it. <laughs> you got it. You, what were you sneaking on my house or something? I the just, only thing I do cook is I'll cook steak. Well, that's what I'll do once in a while. Oh, so
0: you, you mend the grill, but when it's inside, the wife's got to do that's it. Inside, that's right? it. I can't that's well, good.
1: actually, this morning I did make her some eggs, but that's the limit of my uh, my cooking. But she <laughs> does make a wicked sauce and meatballs.
0: That's fantastic. I just, I just want to. Today, we're really going on the air to, to promote Police Off the Cuff, uh, not just uh, the new shows we got coming up this week, but as a brand, we now have a website called uh, you know PoliceOffTheCuff.com. We got a lot of stuff on there, and besides the, uh, myself and Mark, started this Mark DeMayo. We started this a little over two years ago, and we do the show Police Off the Cuff. But I branched out to do this show, Real Crime Stories, with you. And I'm really happy with it. And I think we haven't even scratched the surface of it. And we have some really amazing, amazing uh, cases coming up and uh, some amazing guests. And I'm just going to comment on some of the things we got coming up, and, and you feel free to jump in. But tomorrow night, there's the flyer. We have retired NYPD inspector James Cohn, who was a, a, a hell of a cop. I think he had two medals of valor. He was a street crime guy. He came up through the ranks, and he f- retired as a um, full inspector as the commanding officer of the aviation unit. I don't know if you know Inspector Cohn, but right now he lives in Florida, and he works as a pilot.
1: Yeah, I could see that. I don't know Cohn, but I did know some uh, some uh, guys that worked in aviation, obviously a very interesting uh you know, uh, uh, unit in the police department. They're very, very important. I mean, uh, over the years of my career, we've used, utilized 80 a- aviation, uh, many, many times. I actually, uh, had the, uh, the privilege of riding along with them with, it was going to be, uh, when I was over in the six O squad, there was going to be a uh, rap concert. They were worried about, uh, shootings and, uh, you know all the to do at uh, that follows around in these uh, rap concerts. So I go over to Floyd Bennett Field. I go up in the uh, in the bird with them, and uh, right after we were up in the air, about uh, five minutes, I got radioed that they had canceled the concert. So I told the guys, I said, "Listen, you know," they, they says, "Don't worry, we're gonna take you. We'll take you for the uh, for the run that we do." Yeah. And uh, they uh, they go, "You've been up before," so I knew that that was gonna be like if I was like. Acting like I was scared, they were gonna, you know, they're gonna try and. They were gonna, they were gonna take you on me. a. Go- they were gonna take you on a ghost ride. Exactly, <laughs> they were gonna take me on a ride. I was probably gonna have to change my underwears, you know. So, <laughs> so I said, "Yeah, yeah, I've been up before. I had never been up." So they flew towards the Statue of Liberty, and we actually went around the Statue of Liberty kind of sideways. And they were lo- looking back at me and stuff, and uh, you know, I-, I held it together. Everything was cool, and then. Um, we flew up towards the George Washington Bridge. It was really unbelievable because we got past the bridge, north of the bridge. They turned, and we were like level with the top of the towers. And just looking at it, it was like you could almost reach out and touch it. And then uh, one of the pilots, his uh, his family was having a party in the backyard over in the Bronx. We flew over, we shined the light on them. And then you'll never believe this is this is a true story, Bill. About five minutes before we're about to go back towards Floyd Bennett Field, you know, I got the headset on, and the pilot tells the co-pilot. Do you feel that? So he he goes, yeah, I did. And I thought they were breaking my balls. You know, like they're yeah, trying to. Yeah. He goes, there it is again. Do you feel that vibration? And <laughs> the guy goes, yes, I did. I felt it. I felt it. And I see them start scrambling. So I, you know, I keyed in. Because with the headsets, you know, you can talk to them. I says, come on, guys, stop breaking my balls. And the co-pilot turns to me with a dead stare and goes, he's not kidding. And when I heard <laughs> that, I was like what's going on? What are we doing? They, and I hear them radioing for an emergency landing at JFK and within 45 seconds, we're on the ground in JFK. And I'm like holding off for deal life, you know, and we land and here comes the Port Authority police. And they did like an inspection of the helicopter. And, uh, we're on the ground for about 20, 30 minutes. And, uh, you know, I'm radioing, <laughs> send somebody to JFK to come and get me, you know, and then they go, yeah, we checked it out. Uh, we're gonna go back to uh, Floyd Bennett Field. Come on, I'm like uh, they're sending somebody for me. I don't want to go back in the <laughs> yeah. hurry, but, but then I got in. We w- went back to JFK, and they put the uh, they put the helicopter out of uh, out of service. I actually did feel the vibration. I don't know. I never followed up on what it was. But thank God we made it back safe. So uh, you
0: know, we had interviewed uh, a pilot from aviation on our show one time. And he talked that he'd won the Medal of Valor for a rescue of uh, three cadets on a mountain up by West Point. Oh, I think and, I remember that. Yeah, it was a crazy rescue. And um, it not only involved aviation, it involved ESU because ESU, I think, repelled out of the helicopter to actually yeah. make the save, you know. Uh-huh. So it was an incredible story. But he, when he retired, he and I won't name the names of the helicopter companies, but he worked for a couple of helicopter companies. And he quit because he didn't like their maintenance schedule. So how the hell is that for someone in the public? He said they did not put the helicopters out of service as often as he would have liked coming from the NYPD when he sees, you know, X amount of hours they laid down that helicopter, X amount of hours of service, you know.
1: Yeah. You know, there was was two – I can remember, I think, two incidents with NYP helicopter, NYPD helicopters went down. One in like 1983 when I first got to the 70, it It crashed over. I think it hit a small plane and crashed over in Red Hook and both the uh, pilot and co-pilot were killed. Uh, and then I think it was another one not long ago. But uh, two guys that I worked with from the 70, both cops went on to become helicopter pilots. Uh, Sammy Finamore is a very close friend of mine. I'm still friendly with him till this day. And Viddy Bavetta, who I'm also uh, friends with, uh, both I think Vinny's still flying. Uh, Sammy gave it up, but, Vinny let, me, but oh, let me let
0: me let me stop you for a second. Sure. how every one of your friends is Italian? Don't you have any no. other friends? that
1: <laughs> I gotta tell you, I've had a, a few partners on the job, There's there's like two or three partners that I've had on the job <laughs> that I call my partner. One was Artie Williams. Obviously not Italian. Another one was Eddie Driscoll, obviously not Italian, and then my partner Craig Bodie, who was half Italian, and uh, he was actually killed a few years back. Hey, but uh, I'm sorry to hear that. But you're, yeah, ruining, yeah. you're
0: ruining my joke and my dissertation, you know. <laughs> but but I, I I
1: got along I got along very well with Irish guys with everybody. But I I was very close with my my two closest partners. Well, I guess three, but were uh, were uh, yeah, there was some Italian guys too. I guess oh, that so I do to get good. myself in. <laughs> You know, one of, the things,
0: one of the things I want to ask uh, uh, Inspector Cohn tomorrow night, retired Inspector Cohn, is how do you get into aviation? I had heard that they don't want you to have previous flying experience. And then I heard that they they do want you to have a certain level because they want to train you the, the way they want to do it. Yes. they don't want – but at the same time, I can't see them, like, taking in
1: someone who's a brand-new Jack that's never yes. flown before, you know? I think that what they do is, I know if you have helicopter experience in the military, I think that's pretty much a good resume to get into aviation. I know a few guys that went that way. And then I know other guys. uh, Vic Acevedo uh, uh, was flying or trying to get into aviation. He was flying, but he never made it in and he had his uh, pilot's license. So I guess there's something to it. Maybe they want to mold the pilots the way that uh, that they want to train them, you know? I think it helps
0: if you're a chief's son, too, you know?
1: That's always
0: uh, <laughs> positive,
1: yeah. That's, the, uh, the major,
0: major, major hook, right? The yeah, hook. yeah. All right, now, Phil, I want to segue. We're going to get off uh, Inspector Cohn. That's tomorrow night at 7 o'clock. Should Inspector be a great Cohen. show, Bill. Should yeah, it's, it's going to be excellent. Until Tuesday night, where this is a case that came to my attention. Uh, it's actually happened 10 years ago. But I spoke to you about, I'm going to put the flyer on the screen right there. And it's a case of a girl from Westchester. She's actually from Scarsdale. And 10 years ago, she turned up missing at Indiana University after a night of heavy drinking. And um, it's, it's really a heartbreaking case. We both have kids. You, I know you have three daughters. This You can never recover from something like that. So 10 years ago on June 3rd, June 3rd, uh, 2011 is when it occurred. So this is the 10-year anniversary of it. And we're going to cover that case on Tuesday night. Myself, uh, you, and uh, the uh, defense attorney, Joe Murray, who's been on this show numerous times. There he is, handsome guy. He's becoming like a, a, a cult podcasting figure, you know? The, <laughs> the, the women love him. And I know Angie's watching. So Angie, I know he's a handsome guy, but uh, he's also a smart guy.
1: That's uh, before beard too. That's a good picture of Joe. Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Go- going on to this uh, case that we're going to talk about Tuesday night. I mean, my heart goes out to the family. I mean, they got to be, I can't even imagine what they're going through. I have two college age daughters and one that's a senior in high school or going to be a senior in high school. And I really can relate to it. I mean, it's horrible. The, they, they really never got any type of closure uh, I can't even imagine the nightmare that they're going through, but, uh, it's 10 years and hopefully, uh, you being, uh, uh, a homicide, uh, investigator from, uh, Manhattan North Homicide Squad, uh, Joe having, uh, NYPD experience, uh, as a police officer and detective and myself, I worked on many homicides. I think that with our over 60 years of experience between, uh, myself, you and Joe, uh, I think that we'll offer some good expert analysis and give our professional opinions on it. Um, I'm actually reviewing the timeline that uh, that, uh, that was on. I believe it was on Wikipedia, and uh, I also want to look at the investigative steps that were taken and discuss that. I mean, I know anytime we we uh, we review one of these cases, I always like to. Uh, go through what I would do or what I would be expected to do and, you know, put our heads together and maybe, uh, you know, discuss the things that were done and maybe some of the things that weren't done, you know, maybe things that uh, could have been done, you know? Well, you know, it's, it's, uh, with all major investigations, when
0: you come to a, a fork in the road where you sort of don't know what to do next, it's always good to put everyone's head together and to discuss it. And that's how, homicides and major cases, that's how you come up with answers. But by picking everyone's brain, we used to say, you know, all right, let's all sit around and hypothesize and theorize, you know, and that there's a lot of truth to that. You yes. sit around, and you talk, what have you done? What do you think? What how, Who have you spoken to? And the, the bottom line is you have to start over and over and over. You may have to start from the beginning hundreds of times. Go back, do this over again. Yes. Check this out. You know, what did we miss? Did we miss anything, you know? But Absolutely. all these cases, there's look you can see right here. There's a hundred and forty-five thousand dollar reward. So if people, if this was easy, someone has the answer out there, right? Someone knows what happened. Uh, the chances of of her being alive after ten years are are very slim. It's not impossible, but but very very slim chances. And we can just reiterate. Um, how horrible it has to be for her family, for her parents. There's no closure to this case. I think they've been interviewed and they don't, they don't expect that she's alive, but they still would like, and they need closure. They need an answer, you know?
1: Absolutely. I I can relate to what you're saying a hundred percent. I think that had there been some type of, let's say a body was discovered and they were able to bury their daughter uh, that part of it, you know, they would have, uh, gotten some closure in my opinion, they're probably stuck. They're probably stuck, which I would call a neutral, you know, they can't move forward. Uh, I'm hoping that someday that, uh, they're going to be able to get some closure. And, you know, what you were talking about just uh, a couple of seconds ago, uh, you know, sometimes when you put fresh eyes on a case, like I think I spoke with you about a case that I had over in, uh, Carry Gardens in Brooklyn, the fob case, where six months after the case was over, I mean, we had did everything that we thought necessary at the time, but a re-canvas and talking to a witness that was already spoken to, but she had seen something and didn't tell us the first time. And Buddy banane uh, from uh, Major Case, who was at, in the housing police at the time, he went and knocked on the door. She just about pulled him into the apartment and said, I got to tell you what really happened. So sometimes something like that, even though you did it, you were there, you did that canvas, you knocked on that door, you interviewed that person. It's still sometimes uh, in my particular case, we had put it on Crime Stoppers. She saw it on the news and her, uh, her conscience had gotten the best of her. So she never made the phone call. But when Buddy knocked on the door, she was able to supply the information that led to the arrest in the case. So like you said, sometimes putting your heads together, what did we miss? Let's try this. Let's re that. Let's talk to that person again. And sometimes you shake the tree or even a fresh set of eyes and somebody has a, a different theory says, you know what? You guys tried that, that, and that. Let's try this. And Sometimes it could lead to a- Well, uh, you know, know, Phil, even something
0: as simple as standing out on the corner on the anniversary of her missing with flyers saying, help us help you, explaining what happened. If you have any information, it'll be kept strictly confidential. Call this number or come in to see so-and-so. The other thing is that I always liked this was shaking the tree. Shaking the tree in New York City, for us, it meant having narcotics do buy and bust. Yep having anti-crime out there, which they don't have anymore, have patrol, have everyone shake that tree and debrief every single prisoner in relation
1: to this specific case. Absolutely. I, I think that's a great point. I don't know. Do you know for sure if that was done with the uh, anniversary where they, where they gave out flyers? Because you know, I don't right. know this is, this is in Indiana. So right. the
0: Indiana police also, there's a private investigator that's on this case. He happens to work for Bo Dietl. I think he's the vice president of Bo Dietl Investigations. I think he was a lieutenant on our job. Uh, his last name is Syrah v- or something like that. Anyway, yeah. he's still on the case. Okay. Um, now, I I know, look, I can imagine the, the, the fortune that the parents have spent on private investigators, you know, trying to yeah. get answers. But Lieutenant Peter Pranzo says, the cold case squad. Yeah, you should have a, a squad that's totally just dedicated to this case, just 100 percent of the time working on just this case. I don't know whether in at, in Indiana whether they can do that, whether they have the resources to do that. But this is a, a national case that still gets national attention uh, when it's covered, because it's uh, you know
1: it's college girls that are 20 years old are not supposed to disappear. Right. I'm sure that when she first went missing, they plastered the area, missing part persons posters. But I like the idea about what you said on the anniversary. They should do it every year, right around, just before the anniversary and through the anniversary, because there might be that one person that walks down that street or drives down that street at that particular time on that particular day for whatever reason. And that might lead to... Uh, you know, something that they can uh, jump on. And if you remember, Bill, in the episode of The Perfect Murder that we did, we actually did a scene where uh, it was the year anniversary when the young lady was killed on the Grand Central Parkway and uh, we went and handed out flyers on uh, on the highway. A hundred percent. And it's
0: like a mundane thing. Detectives don't like doing it and that that's too bad. Whether they like doing it or not, it's, it's effective. It can yes. really be effective, you know, yeah. and you're shaking that tree. I'm just going to go to a quick little... Uh, commercial for our sponsors here. Uh, Folks, anyone looking to leave the New York City area because of high taxes, crime, whatever, you don't like who the mayoral candidates are, you want to move down to Myrtle Beach, South Carolina? Carol Waters is a realtor, and she used to work in New York City for over 20 years as a bartender at the Fitzpatrick Hotel. Her husband, Rob Mayen, is a former NYPD police officer who rolled over to the fire department. Together they're the dynamic duo down in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, selling real estate, uh, real estate. Uh, Carol sells for the Beach Realty Group, and you can get a hold of her at 914-261-6681, or you can email her at Carol Waters Sells Myrtle Beach at gmail.com. They must be doing a hell of a job because they're both multi-million million dollar salespeople. So give her a call at 914-261-6681. Folks, if you get in any trouble and we mention him all the time, he's our our buddy. He's a huge promoter of Police Off the Cuff. Joe Murray, a former police officer who's now an attorney, uh, he'll represent you. You can give him a call. um, He has a website, uh, joe at jmurray-law.com. You can reach him by cell at 718-514-3855. That's Joe Murray, a huge promoter of uh, Police Off the Cuff, and we thank him for that. Hey, Bill, does he do, uh, like, wills and stuff like that, too? Or does he just do criminal I, law? I think that might be a little small for Joe Murray. I know he's he's yeah. in the chat right now. He might tell
1: me that. But he's, uh, you know, he's- I know we he, always promote him for, for, you know, if you get in trouble criminal. But I'm sure I mean, he must do other stuff, too. Or, or does he do just strictly
0: criminal law? You know, Joe, do you do just criminal law? You're doing wills? You're doing uh, house closings? He says no wills for me. See, okay. lawyers hate doing that. They they farm okay. out, they form that out to the uh, new jacks, right? Yeah, I get it. I get it. So he, he's you know he, look, he's like an F. Lee Bailey. He's an up and coming F. Lee Bailey type. Yeah. You know, so, oh, uh, Joe's good. We've discussed that before. He's good. He's good. He, yeah. He's shown that tomorrow night. Uh, excuse me, not tomorrow night. Thursday night. I never knew Donald Sadawi, but Donald Sadawi uh, has a book written about him apparently he's a uh, a huge um he's a he's a de- first grade detective that was uh, in the bomb squad and he's diffused many bombs in his career he worked on the uh the world trade center he has a a book that book was written about him rendered safe here he is in his bomb squad outfit i can't even imagine wearing that how, how hot that must be but He's going to be on the show Thursday night, and that should be another spectacular episode.
1: Bill, I- keep that picture up for a second. I just want to say something. You said it's hot. If you look at that tube in the back, that's actually – they have a ventilation. They have a little fan that so that their, fo- their, uh, their screen in the front doesn't fog up. That's actually a very, very uh, – intricate uh system that they wear that thing weighs a ton too so uh yeah those, those guys are uh those guys are cut from a, a very very special mold i mean that takes a lot of a lot of guts and a lot of balls to do that stuff i can't but, imagine
0: uh, going up to and like trying to defuse a bomb you know uh, that could go off and blow you to bits it's uh it's a special type of courage you know
1: yeah i've seen them in action a few times from being in the squad getting called out on bomb jobs and uh, obviously we're kind of Back. and uh these guys they just suit up and they very a matter of factly will walk up and they'll just get right next to that package that's suspicious and they'll x-ray it and they'll they'll take it apart and uh you know they're methodical obviously I mean they don't want to blow themselves up but uh they work with such grace and uh you got to tip your hat to guys like that in the in the police department and the military that uh that play around with bombs god bless them I tell you, on the police department, the
0: people that I respected, I respected everyone, but the most, there was emergency service, guys in the the bomb squad, and as far as investigators, I had a special um, affinity for special victims because I just thought that their job was so, so difficult, the type of cases that they were investigating, and and the toll it could take on them, you know, much like homicide, Mm -hmm. but special victims, you know, a lot of times – They're dealing with the investigation of crimes against children, which is horrible. You
1: know? Absolutely. And, and I think you make a great point, Bill, because we're dealing with homicides and stuff. And most of the time it's not children, you know, and we would get that occasional job like that. And that really tugs at your heartstrings, but they would deal with stuff like that on a regular basis with rapes and, uh, all these other different, uh, sexual abuse cases with, involving women and children. So, uh, yeah, you're right. You got to have a, a, a real tip tat to those, uh, those investigators and, in, uh, in those specialized units.
0: You know, and then also, of course, we just were speaking about aviation. Of course, that's like a specialty that – I mean, we we probably, as cops, we probably look at them as like, I'm thinking of aviation. I want to do that, you know. But it's an amazing job. And uh, the fact that – I mean, they probably love coming to work every day, you know. I'm getting to fly I'm a sure. helicopter today, you know, how – how cool is that? You know.
1: Yeah, yeah. I was uh, I was having a chat with uh, a guy I worked with in the seven o. Now, when I went first went in the seven o was in the early eighties, and uh, we would do a four to twelve. And he said something, and I agreed with him. He said, back then it was so much fun to come to work. When I would do a four to 12, he goes, I didn't want to go home. And if they would have told me I couldn't get paid, he goes, I would have did it for free. And I, it was really that way, just the camaraderie, the guys we worked with. And if we went to a job and it was a barricaded, uh, you know, perp and, and shots fired and stuff like that, we, we would call out aviation. We would call out emergency service and those guys be right there with us. And, uh, it was just such an adrenaline pump and uh, and uh you know, just being part of it, there was nothing like it, you know. and uh, you
0: know, Phil, you're describing the way I was when I worked anti-crime. I loved coming to work, whether absolutely. it was precinct anti-crime or street crime, I was like, they're paying me to do this job. I like loved doing it, you know?
1: Yeah. And you know, you got a lot of satisfaction out of it because you know, whether it was a radio run or a pickup, there would be something going on and then you would follow it to its conclusion and conclusion. A lot of time would be a collar or something like that. And you know, it was very, very satisfying. And I've always said as being a detective, I, that's what I always aspired to do for a detective. There's nothing better Then standing over a dead body and you have no clue who killed this person when it's sometime after, whether it be a day, a week, a month or a year, and you have the person in custody, whether they're confessing or you're arresting them for that murder. That's the ultimate for a detective. You know something, Phil?
0: I felt the same way when we had like a really good case. Yes.
1: what's, What's sleep?
0: What do you mean sleep? What is sleep? What do you mean sleep? Right. Yeah. I, I remember one time we worked, it seemed, it seemed like we were up for like 40 hours straight. I mean, I know we weren't, but we never went home. Yes. You know? And it, maybe we caught an hour here, an hour there. You, you ate a slice of pizza, you know, but that adrenaline keeps you going. Lieutenant Peter Pranzo, yo street crime unit owns the night, you know, something. We wish street crime unit was back. We wish, we wish precinct anti-crime was back and we're hoping that that, that can happen one day because, uh, Without them, you can see the way the city is. I just want to, Phil, go to something else right now. Sure. And one of the things that we've been trying to do with our channel is increase our um, amount of women that watch our channel because, believe it or not, I I look at the analytics and 78% of the people that watch our show are male and uh, 22% are female. So because more females watch podcasts, we're trying to up it. So I got... I got a press release about this book, and it's called Behind the Blue Curtains. And as soon as I got the press release, I immediately wrote to the publicist, and I said, I'd like to interview Lizzie Hershberger. And uh, he said, all right. He goes, they'd be interested. And uh, Molly uh, Maeve Egan, is, she's her ghostwriter. She's, um, she's sort of like her coach in a lot of ways. And what, what, is, what the book is about is she was Amish, and she grew up in an Amish community. And basically, um, she was raped numerous times, over 24 times. And that's what the book is about. And it's about the sexual abuse inside the Amish community. And I couldn't put the book down. They sent me the book, and I read the book. So I'm going to be interviewing uh, Lizzie Hirschberger, and Molly uh, Maeve Egan on um, Tuesday, uh, June 22nd at 8 p.m. Uh, it's, it's an unbelievable story. It's a story about survival. It's a story about uh, a woman who was brave enough to, uh, after 30 years, made a police report and had the person that sexually assaulted her arrested. But these insular communities have these huge problems with sexual abuse,
1: yeah, that should be an interesting show, Bill. I mean, that woman, uh, obviously, she exemplified tremendous courage uh, to come forward. And like you said, in in these communities where everything is very, very secretive, uh, to come forward, that took a lot of guts. I give her a lot of credit. That should be a fantastic show. I'm dying to hear what she's got to say about what went on. I mean, it's terrible, but, uh, you know, maybe... Uh, talk about it and maybe it can prevent somebody else having that happen to them. You know, Phil, a hundred
0: percent. And you know something? I think that, um, the problem with these, what I would call, they're like religious cults. They really are, you know, and it's still going on, you know, uh, because you can't really infiltrate these cults. They try to be insular and they try not to live, uh, in regards to the rules and the laws of 21st century America. But, it's
1: a problem in a lot of these religions, you know? Absolutely. I'm, I'm sure it's not rampant, but even one case is one too many, you know? I don't know. I, I
0: think based on what I read in her book, I think it is rampant. And it's really? not just
1: it's not just the
0: Hasidic community. Um, yeah. It's a lot of other religions, you know? And I'm not going to point yeah. fingers at other religions without knowing the specifics or having someone come out, but it is a huge problem. Uh we're getting close to the half hour. We're almost, at, we're at the half hour. Almost, I want to talk about a couple more cases. Look who's coming back! Oh, I can't wait to see this one. <laughs> yeah, him and his buddy Bob Starkman—they uh, want to come on the show together. So that's uh, Joe Pistone, aka Donnie Brasco, the most famous undercover in the history of the FBI. He wants to come back on the show. He's got to, you know, he's he's a legend. But he's got a hell of a sense of humor. If you watched the show the last time, we were wall to wall ball busting, and he took it—he took it like the hero he is, you know.
1: And uh, you could see he's got a great personality, John. Oh, 100 percent. I want—I want to know
0: where he gets those sunglasses from, too. You know, I think that yeah, there must be some kind of FBI equipment section or something he gets them from. <laughs> you know, but yeah, the uh, Ray section in the FBI—that's yeah, yeah, <laughs> right. They must have their own their own equipment section. And uh, the other thing, who's coming back? And I don't know if I put the flyer here, but um, I don't know if I got it here, but you know, Larry Mazza and you know, Larry Mazza. Why don't you tell the audience
1: who he is, Phil? Larry is, uh, he was actually a a made member of uh, the Colombo crime family and uh, he was involved in some pretty uh, nasty stuff. Uh, He wrote a book about it called The Life and uh, he actually is about the same age as me he uh, grew up in my neighborhood. I have uh, mutual friends, and and uh, he knew my cousins and stuff. And uh, he's a pretty interesting character. Uh, you had him on before. He did a little uh, with Tommy Dades, and he did some, uh, some talking about his book and stuff. But uh, him and I actually rubbed elbows together. I didn't know him growing up. I never really met him, but we worked in the same area. He worked for a supermarket. I worked for Salamaria. And um, he was actually seduced when he was delivering groceries by uh, – The Grim Reaper's girlfriend, uh, Scarper, uh, Greg
0: Scarper
1: Scarper was, uh, an infamous killer in the mob and, uh, he wound up going to work for him. It's a great story. And, uh, I'm sure we're going to have a lot of, uh, a lot of things to talk about with, uh, With Larry when he comes back. Well,
0: when I ask Larry to come back on, I'm definitely having you uh, do the show with me because that'll uh, be
1: fantastic. Yeah. You
0: know, just in case you got to slip in some Italian, you know, some Italian friends. Yeah, well, maybe
1: I could like. (laughs) uh... I could decipher some of his stuff. You know, like like,
0: like, shut, like and stuff like that, you know?
1: Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. We were yeah. throwing, we were throwing some things around about the mob with, with Tommy too. So we'll, maybe we'll right. do some. Hey, I'm, I'm hearing
0: things. I'm hearing yeah. some
1: things. You hearing subversive things about yeah. that guy?
0: Is he talking subversive? That's right, he is. That's uh, yeah. look at Lieutenant Pete, man. Lieutenant Pete wants to speak some Italian. <laughs> He's saying, hey, <laughs> we love it. So just you know so I on a Sunday afternoon I scheduled this at the last moment and Phil was in the yard like all good Italian dads doing some weeding you know he's uh, he's 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 harvesting the eggplant you know whatever he's doing out there in Brooklyn <laughs> Now, I gotta
1: tell you the truth. I don't have a green thumb when it comes to that. I was weeding, but I'm getting ready for uh, a party in my backyard. So oh I've been but you know, he,
0: he's he's ordering his daughters around like he's the head of the family. You know, when you know really the mother, the wife is the head of the family. Oh, he, may yeah. be, he may be sitting at the head of the table, but she's but she's ruling with an iron fist. You know that, right? Well, there's an
1: old saying, happy wife, happy life. So that's, I that's try that.
0: That's I try my best. <laughs> that's 100% correct. Happy yeah. wife, happy life. That's for sure. I make yeah. no decisions in my family, you know, well, especially anything with furniture, painting, anything he's my wife like. What do you think of this? And I go, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what I think of it. Do what gonna
1: you just, want. You're going to do what you want anyway. So why are you asking me? That's right? how you stay happy, Bill. That's how you stay yeah, happy. Exactly.
0: I'm,
1: Look at I'm all learning. I wasn't always like that, but I'm and, learning.
0: And all the women in our audience are laughing because they know I'm telling the truth, right? And Absolutely. Peter Peter Franzo said there's some buried buried coffee cans. Oh yeah, you, you know Rachella runs that house too. Oh, he I acts like that. he's running the home, but you know Rachella rules with an iron fist there, right?
1: Yeah, <laughs> I'm sure. And especially that I have three daughters, so my wife really uh, she's relates with them, and and she's like the uh, you know very very uh, connected with what's going on. And then I uh, I got my role too, so it, it works out. It works out. It's all good. Folks, I just want you to take a quick
0: look at this, uh, our, our, engineer, Josh, who I can't say enough great things about, and he actually works for duty, Ron. And that's where I met him. He's making these unbelievable, uh, what do you, you know, I call them flyers, but they're not really flyers. They're like, uh, you know, what do you call this? I don't even know, but it's, he's doing a banner, a, a banner for us. Yeah. That's a yeah. It looks record. good. I like it, Bill. And and he, he's made several different types of them, you know, and, uh. It's just, you know, he and he's built our website. Pretty soon we're coming up with uh, merchandise on our website. Besides having coffee cups, we're going to have hats. We're going to have shirts.
1: Oh, that uh, sounds
0: good. All dipped in butter, coffee cups. You know, those those were very popular. So he's, <laughs> he's doing an unbelievable job, and uh, I really take my hat off. I'm so happy that we found him.
1: Those uh, cups were so popular that somebody swiped mine at the party that we had. <laughs> Are you kidding me? I swear. I swear the black one and I had to take a white one.
0: Oh, you know, we gotta, we gotta come up with some more. Jo- Josh is working on it for us. And,
1: uh, Phil, I, we're at the time. You got any yes. final thoughts,
0: final thoughts?
1: Looking forward to Tuesday night. That's a really interesting cakes. And I just, uh, again, heart goes out to those people, the family, uh, the, the parents of, uh, Lauren Spire. And, uh, I, I see you got some great guests coming up, Bill. It's very interesting. I'm just glad to be a part of it. And, uh, I'm sure it's going, to, uh, it's going to explode and do well. And, you know, folks,
0: all you guys, I, I recognize all the names that are in the chat now, and I know you're already subscribers, but for your friends, family, uh, extended family, tell them to subscribe to Police Off the Cuff on YouTube. We're coming up, uh, you know, we're building slowly but surely. We're not at duty run numbers, but uh, we're building slowly but surely. And I'm, I'm working hard at this, believe it or not. And I tell you, one of the best things, and I maybe I get a little redundant saying this is, One of the greatest things I like about doing this show is the unbelievable people I get to meet, you know, and interviewing them and laughing with them and having a conversation with them. Even Phil Grimaldi, I first met him when we were on a TV show together, The Perfect Murder. That's right. And just like I said that day when he's he's coming on the show and I don't even have to coach him that much because he's such a pro, I just said, let's just have a conversation. And that's all we just did for 35 minutes. We just had a conversation, right? Yeah. Yeah. It it's,
1: went quick. It went quick. And and hats off to you, Bill, because you do work hard on the show. You're constantly on this stuff. You put out shows. I think one week you put out about six or seven shows. So you're going to get there. You're, God bless you. And, and you're doing a great job. And I'm just so happy to be a part of it. I appreciate that. You know, actually, just I just
0: thought of it tomorrow at 10 o'clock in the morning. I'm on live with uh, Ed Mullins from the SBA president uh, to the point with Ed Mullins. And I I apologize. I don't know the name of the woman. It's the woman that took on the school board in regards to um, what that's called. um, What's that training they're
1: doing? uh, That was
0: up 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 near
1: Yonkers, I believe. No,
0: up in Carmel. Carmel, that's it. In regards to racial that racial training they're doing in the school. Uh, Critical race theory. Critical race theory. So she She was
1: fantastic, Bill. Fantastic.
0: She she went after that school board like a real, uh, you know, it was amazing. She took
1: control and I loved it. She really gave it to them.
0: Yeah. And uh, like they deserved critical race theory. That's correct. So 10 o'clock tomorrow morning, I'm on with Ed Mullins on uh, To the Point with Ed Mullins. Tomorrow night with um, James Cohn, the former CEO of aviation. uh, Thursday. I can't even think of all the names now, but we got just we have some amazing shows coming. I don't want to stay on any longer, Phil. Thank you so much. You're always available. I give you a call, you're uh, you, you take your gloves off out of the garden, you, you you wash off your hands, and you're ready to go. <laughs> That's just about what happened today. I swear, Bill. But my pleasure. Thank Thanks you so again. much, and all you police right. off the cuff fans, have a great rest of your Sunday. Uh, if you're mixing up some gravy. I'm going to have Phil come on one week and give you some sauce recipes. There you go.
1: (laughs) Stay safe, everybody. Good afternoon, everyone.